Let's go out to Lubbock, Texas. A lot happening out there right now. I'm Pete Mundo, Heartland College Sports Weekly, part of heartlandcollegesports.com. Appreciate you being here. Please do leave that rating, review, subscribe to the podcast. Helps us tremendously. And uh, that's what I'm asking for for Christmas. A rating, review, subscribing to the podcast, and sending me a screenshot to Pete Mundo, M-U-N-D-O, at heartlandcollegesports.com. And I'll get you a Heartland College Sports koozie. All right? That's my Christmas gift to you. So thank you, thank you, thank you. All right, Jarrett Johnson inside the Red Raiders does a great job covering Texas Tech. First off, Jarrett, happy birthday, man. Thanks for being here on the show on your birthday. (laughs) Thank you. First off, Pete, thanks for having me on, and uh, thanks for wishing me a happy birthday. I really appreciate it. I had to do it, man. I had to do it. It just popped up on Twitter earlier when I was looking up your page. (laughs) So uh, with that being said, on kind of a more uh, sad note, a very sad note, of course, um, you look at Mike Leach passing away at 61 years old, Obviously, hadn't been at Texas Tech in over a decade since 2009, but really, that is where he made his name for himself. Knowing Mike Leach, uh, covering him and covering this program for as long as you have, what have the emotions been like for you, and what's been on your mind this week, given the news of the week? Well, needless to say, it's sad. I mean, everybody's, you know, uh, actually, you know, you would think you'd be sad about this, but I think people have been kind of caught by surprise with just how sad the news was and how it's affected people. I actually didn't cover uh, Mike Leach. I was a sophomore at Texas Tech his first year. Uh, But, of course, I followed the program. I'm very familiar with him. And there's so many echoes in this town uh, at Texas Tech University and, of course, in the athletic and football programs of what Mike Leach accomplished, his – force of personality what a unique character he was and just what uh, impact he made uh in all those places i mentioned but not just that but in college football and the sport of football itself i mean it's it's really hard to quantify just what an impact you know mike leach made and uh anybody who followed any of the teams that he coached you know so uh it's people have been very sad uh, of course with the passing and a lot of people just feel really bad for the family and there's a lot of former players who I've talked to and you know, with our radio show, uh, local radio show I do, just talking with a lot of the players just how, you know, sad they've been and then thinking back on on fond memories and, and what Coach Leach did for them in their lives. So what about, you know, some of those stories and just more the imprint that he has had on Lubbock, and you mentioned that you can kind of see those all over town over the last decade or so. I know it didn't end well. We all understand that. But the focus on the positive and the mark and the legacy that he has left in Lubbock, what is that like living there? And how does that come into everyday life for Lubbock, Texas residents? Well, in terms of on the field, I got to say, you know, uh, quarterbacks and offenses are, are judged uh, harshly. <laughs> you could be a top 10 offense and not good enough in at Texas Tech because of what Mike Leach did on a year year in and year out basis. Uh, well, I think it was his personality is what's left. I love that when he was the coach at Texas Tech, it was um, aggressive. The whole the, the the program was aggressive. Mike Leach had a very unapologetic way about him. This is who I am. This is what I'm going to do. Stop it if you want to shut me up, you know, or if you want you know want to stop us as a team, then then do it. Uh, but it was. What, my senior writer, Joe Yeager, actually, I, we were doing a video earlier today about it. And, uh, you know, he mentioned just how open 
the access was. And he said that may have been just a sign of the times, but he remembered he could just go, uh, go up to Michael Crabtree's dorm room and knock on his door and do an interview, which nowadays is, you know, you'd be, your credentials will be revoked and, you know, shot on site. Basically. I mean, that's just like, that's an impossibility nowadays, but just how open it was, how least would just, could just walk up to you and, uh, you have a conversation about native Americans or pirates or, uh, you know, anything, whatever's going on in, in the day. And I remember stories where Mike Leach would have uh, from friends who went to school uh, when he was coach, coaching here, and he would post up like a local crickets in a corner booth with the playbook and be going over the weekly game plan for, during the season, you know, and, and have a bottle of wine. And, and uh, you know, if somebody walked up to him, he would have one of those conversations about, you know, almost anything other than football. And I, I think that's really unique. I think, He's just a unique individual who uh, gave Texas Tech and Lubbock a bit of a swagger. Mm-hmm. Um, became came nationally known because of him. You know, you had 60 Minutes and uh, you know New York Times, all all the national publicity he got for being so unique, both on and off the field. I think just continues to reverberate. Take me through, uh, Jared, another story this week that has ties back to Lubbock, Texas. It's another sad story, and that is what has happened with Chris Beard. Uh, the allegations obviously are incredibly ugly. We know that, you know, of course, before he came to Texas to be the basketball coach, he was right there at Texas Tech, enormous amount of success, uh, runner-up in the NCAA tournament. What What is uh, the backstory here from the standpoint of Chris Beard, whatever's going on and has gone on in his personal life? I mean, put this together from the standpoint of knowing him at Lubbock in Texas Tech where he was – not a national figure to now being a national figure and dealing with this. Yeah. I want to preface all this by saying, I know that most Texas tech fans and people in Lubbock, I mean, the way Chris Beard left, and I think you almost have to be here to really understand it. Um, it couldn't have been a, a, a rougher breakup the way he did it. But me personally and my staff here, I mean, Beard was uh, extremely generous. He would just walk up and do a video or a podcast, uh, very open. Um, even when I've had personal tragedy in my life, he was one of the first people to call me out of the blue and uh, tell me that, uh, you know, uh, he's praying for, for, my, for me and my family and that he offered to have my son come, come down there to, to Austin and go to practices and stuff like that, which, of course, I politely declined. But, you know, I, I think too often people get painted in – black and or white scenarios, either this or that good or bad, whatever. Uh, and that's just not the reality. I think with most people and certainly in the reality with Chris Beard. Now, having said that these are, like you said, very serious allegations. I don't pretend to know the whole story. It doesn't look good. Um, I, it, you know, I, I feel bad for, uh, of course, any potential victim, uh, you know, the, 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 the victim in, in this, in these allegations. And I feel bad for Chris Beard as well and his family and all that, you know, I, so when he left, uh, again, I mentioned uh, Joe Yeager before he wrote a story saying that, uh, uh, you know, he could see something happening with Beard where he might erupt. Now, of course, nobody thought domestic violence, nobody said that or thought that, but, um, allegedly, but in terms of him changing his personality, becoming more volatile, his last year or so in Lubbock, we definitely saw that and we documented it at the time. Now, nobody wanted to hear that because was I mean, that, so do you think it was Beard, stress? For this was it stress? I, I don't, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to, to, to try and say, I know for sure. I, 
I'm, it's not like I know Beard mm. on that personal of a level to where I can know for sure. All what I can say is in going to press conferences, being at the games, even talking to him a little bit away, he, he was different, and he was definitely on edge. And um, a lot of people around the program, around him, said that as well. So I, I could say that with confidence. Now, if you look at it, I mean, Texas has a heck of a, of a team right now. You wouldn't think that right now would be a breaking point. And I don't pretend to know, again, this was – alleged the domestic violence, you know, mm-hmm. nothing's been settled in court. Uh, but I don't pretend to know what him and his, and the, the alleged victim, what the relationship is like, you know? Mm-hmm. So I, I don't, I don't want to try and throw something out there that I, when I don't know what I'm talking about in, in, in that regard. Mm-hmm. But definitely noticed a difference and a change in, in the affable oh, yeah. nature of who he was that last season in Lubbock. Yes. Okay. That's well. That's that's interesting. And like you said, if nothing else, gives a little insight into uh, what you guys saw that last season in Lubbock. And who knows if that, as you noted, had anything to do with what happened here. But it's just kind of an interesting backstory as we look at all this uh, from the standpoint of you know what has been a a terrible week, obviously for Chris Beard and everybody else uh, involved yeah. in that situation. No doubt about it. So wow. Um, let's talk on a good note on the field. Texas Tech football, how this season ended, uh, putting a bow on Joy McGuire's first season. I got to be honest, and I know that, you know, Tech fans have given me a hard time for this, but they exceeded my expectations going 7-5 and five overall, going 5-4 and four in the Big 12, ending the year with three straight wins. I mean, you got to like that after they lost four or five games. Now, I know maybe those last three games were the softer part of the schedule, but I don't care. You win three Big 12 games in a row this year in this league – that's impressive, Jarrett. What happened those last three weeks? What kind of connected that uh, made this thing gel so well and finish the season strong? Yeah, Pete, first off, you got to watch out for Texas Tech fans on Twitter. Oh, God. If you, oh, you didn't know oh. that before. Oh, ki- they'll kill me, Jarrett. They'll kill it. Jeez. I say that figuratively, but jeez. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. I can't win. <laughs> They, they don't they don't take anything for anybody you know I mean that's just it's crazy uh, but no so I feel I feel for you I understand uh, but you know you got a thick skin in this business but I actually I, I got it right I said seven and five going into the season and I could see why people would be skeptical especially with with the uh, difficult schedule that Tech to Tech face but uh, you know I am close to the program these players are a different group. They showed it last year after the coaching change in the middle of the season, even prior to Joey McGuire really getting in there and, you know, establishing his culture. Uh, They beat Iowa State to become bowl eligible. Then they beat Mississippi State by a sizable margin in the bowl game. They showed some toughness, which has been missing, Mm -hmm. quite honestly, from the football program uh, for a long time. I remember talking to Sir Roger Thompson, uh, you know, veteran running back, before this season and asking like, why, you know, not many guys went to the portal, you know, y'all stuck together after all the adversity. What was it? And he said, honestly, he said, I know you hear people uh, say this a lot, but we really just like each other. We, we, we do like each other and we want to play together. We want to win. We want to keep this thing going. And so that's what we did. And so that was a big reason why I thought, okay, you know, I, I could see this team winning six or seven games. And then in fall camp, they actually were more impressive than I was expecting. So I went from six and six to seven and five. Now that looked pretty sketchy uh, when, when they lost four out of five in the middle of their season. But uh, look, that Kansas team was a, is a good team. That's a good football team. Yep. Uh, so that was a big win for the Red Raiders. Iowa State in 20-degree weather in Ames, 
you know, I know Iowa State had a, had a rough season, but they were in a bunch of really like really close games. But they just I, honestly, I think quarterback plays what was the difference between them winning seven or eight and in what I think four, whatever they finished at uh, in win total. But beating Iowa State in Ames in November under Matt Campbell is not easy, and Tech did it. Uh, won an ugly game, and then they came back and they beat Oklahoma, somewhere they hadn't beaten in over a decade. So they beat Texas and Oklahoma in the same season for the first time ever. Uh, they won seven regular season games for the first time since 2015 when Mahomes was here, uh, and uh, they're going to bowl games back to back for the first time since 2012 and 2013. So it was a tremendous season. I think they were able to do it because of their toughness. I think also they really liked the coaching staff. They liked Joey McGuire. And uh, that was the difference in some uh, really close games. I think three overtime wins this season, actually. Yeah, you know, of those three at the end, I really think that win on the road in Ames, I, I know everyone's going to say, well, Iowa State went four and eight, who cares? No, you went on the road in Ames, tough environment, 20 degrees. That's not a game that Texas Tech wins the last decade. You know, I mean, that's like the perfect game that Texas Tech in many ways exactly. doesn't win. They don't win those games. And they won that game in a way that we don't, and have not been used to seeing Texas Tech win football games 14 to 10 on the road in 20 degree weather. That's a game they lose almost every yeah, time yeah. the last decade. And they won it with their defense with goal line stands. Yes. When was the last time you said that about Texas Tech? Yeah. So I, this is a different yes. team. And then the, the, ne- the next week, just to, to make your point even further, Pete, Oklahoma comes in and goes up, you know, punches you in the mouth, goes up, I think, by 17 points. And you still come back and win in overtime. That's another thing. First off, you had just, just haven't beaten Oklahoma. But to come back like that against Oklahoma, when you already had bowl eligibility in your back pocket, I mean, that says a lot about the group of guys in, in the coaching staff, in my opinion. I uh, absolutely agree with that. So now, offseason, um, let's look at it. We know that Donovan Smith <laughs> has hit the portal. I, I mean, I think Tyler Shuck's got another year, right? So he could come back. But Baron Morton yeah. has shown a lot of promise. So... Uh, what are the top storylines now heading into this offseason before, of course, you know, excluding the bowl game, what are the top stories here to watch? Yeah, well, I mean, even today they've had a couple of guys, not starters, but going to portal. And they're bringing in uh, – they're going after offensive line and DBs big time, and they'd like to add, you know, one burner outside a receiver, somebody to take the top off the defense – um, so I expect that, but they're, they're bringing in tw- at least 23, if not 24 recruits this month as well, um, from a top 25 recruiting class, which is also something tech hadn't done in a long time. Uh, so those are big storylines, but I think, yeah, people want to talk about quarterbacks. I do believe Shuck is coming back for another year, unless he has just some otherworldly bowl game performance and, and scouts, you know, bump him up, you know, a couple of rounds in terms of uh, his chance of going to the NFL. Because I think if he could come back, what I've been told anyways, is that if he could come back next year, stay healthy, and have a good year, then he could be a mid-round, maybe you know, th- third or fourth-round guy. As opposed to right now, where he's looking to be – if he left right now, he'd probably be a late-round uh, you know, draft pick. Mm. Okay. Uh, what does it mean then for Baron Morton? I mean, you know – is he willing to kind of sit? Especially, I mean, with how injury-prone Shuck has been, there's no reason for him to go anywhere. But uh, does that create any kind of drama if he does come? If Shuck does come back, Baron Morton is one of the cooler guys you'll ever meet. And he's young. He's he's just a redshirt freshman this year, but he is a West Texas native. He spent a lot of his youth actually in Lubbock. Uh, his dad is a high school coach at Eastland, where he went. 
but coached at uh, Lloyd Monterey and uh, Midland Lee out here in West Texas. So he want you know, he grew up a Red Raider fan. He wants to play at Texas Tech, and he knows he has years of eligibility left, and that this is going to be Shucks next year. Now, I don't, I don't want to speak for him and say he's especially this day and age when, yeah. when anything goes. I would be very surprised if Baron Morton this off season went in the, in the transfer portal. I think he comes. Uh, he's going to compete. Uh, I actually talked, asked Joey McGuire about that here recently, and uh, he said, look, I'm not, you know, Shuck will get the first opportunity, but it will be a competition. You know, he's going to have to earn that starting spot again next season. So, in which I expect Shuck to win. But I, Barry Morton will have his opportunities, and not just in, in the future, but also at, at some point next, next season. And because uh, they, they've been very creative with how they use quarterbacks. Uh, so I, I really expect that to be one, too. And then they got a, uh, a guy coming in who's he's coming in this spring, Jake Strong out of Justin Northwest, who's a really good prospect. Uh, you know, I mentioned my local radio show. We had him on before the Oklahoma game. Great head on his shoulders. Um, I, I'm not saying look out for him to start, but as your third-string quarterback, he's very talented. He's going to have, you know, be in here early. I think that's a really good one, two, three uh, quarterback room, in my opinion. Yeah, well, I think they had the deepest quarterback room in the Big 12 uh, this past season, no doubt about that. Uh, the offensive line, you know, if you're talking about a weak spot, that was it. Um, how is that getting yeah. fixed in 23? Yeah, they already have a guy committed who hadn't announced yet. They're going they're looking to get multiple offensive linemen. One dude they had transfer in from Western Kentucky uh, the season before, Cole Spencer, uh, had a uh, like a knee surgery, which the took a little longer than they ex- they initially expected to come back from. So they went ahead and met, uh, you know, he got a medical red shirt. So he's going to come back and he was an all conference performer for both uh, Zach Kidley, the offensive coordinator and the offensive line coach, Stephen Hamby at Western Kentucky. So they know exactly what they have in him. That's going to help uh, in the offensive line. And then just some of these young guys who they did show improvement at, as the season went along, um, just them developing in the program and getting, you know, the whole bigger, stronger, faster thing. I, the offensive line, in my opinion, is going to be better next season. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, absolutely. It can only go in one direction for the most part, too. Um, on the <laughs> that's, uh, that's true, too. That's true. Uh, it's just, just saying, it, uh, saying it how I see it from uh, up here. So um, on the yeah. basketball court, I mean, that's what makes that 7-5 and five season so amazing, too. I mean, that's just that, that unit really struggled, yeah. and, they, and they really did uh, put together a heck of a season. On the basketball court, seven and two, um, you know, lost some of the tougher games. Creighton, Ohio State, still getting a feel for the team. Um, how should we be looking at Texas Tech hoops as we transition towards conference play here in a couple of weeks? Yeah, I'm a little worried about the team. I'm not going to lie. Now, don't get me wrong; they just won their 27th consecutive uh, game at home last night against Eastern Washington. But you mentioned it; the two teams they've played who are Tournament teams, ranked teams, quality teams, they lost to. They played all right against Creighton. I was there, uh, luckily, in Maui. And I saw them lose to Ohio State, too, which I think is an underrated team. That team is good. Mm-hmm. Uh, but still, two quality teams, you lose to both of them. Uh, and then they, they have guys that are either new to the program or just young and you know trying to find out where they fit in the program. And then they have Kevin O'Banner and Daniel Bacho, who are both very good. But – this team does not seem as good as the team we saw last year, and certainly not um, as good as like the national championship runner-up team. So I, right now, 
they're a borderline tournament team. And, uh, you know, I think Fardal's a mech. Um, it looks like things didn't go well with him. He got hurt and didn't play. It looks like he's going to actually hit the transfer portal. So, uh, you know, they're seven and two. That's some good thing. Those are, there's some good things that are going on, going on with this team, but I'm afraid once they hit big 12 play, they're going to struggle, especially early on as some of these young guys learn what it's like to play in the rough and tumble big 12. We'll be watching, and of course, there are a few games left uh, in the non-conference schedule for Texas Tech, and then they begin conference play on uh, New Year's Eve, taking on TCU, kickoff Big 12 action. How about that? Yeah, I mean, they start off with a tough one. I know Mm -hmm. TCU, they've had some problems with guys being in and out of the lineup, but I expect them to to be really good, especially, you know, by the end of this month or by the – you know, by the time we get in the meat of, of Big 12, playing there in Fort Worth, I think it's a Saturday morning, you know, sleepy Saturday morning, 11, 11 a.m. Yeah. You know, that's not an easy game. So, no. Uh, well, you know, well, I'm really curious to see how Tech reacts, you know. Maybe yeah. they step up and rise to the level of competition, or maybe they, you know, I, they, they get, they're in for a shock. We'll, we'll have to see. Uh, I'm, I'm just as interested as anybody else to see yeah. how, how they perform there. We'll be watching closely. Jared Johnson, check him out. They do great work at InsideTheRedRaiders.com, everything Texas Tech. Um, if you're not on board with those guys, you should be. Jared, thanks so much, man. Really appreciate you hopping on the show. We'll talk to you soon. Pete, thank you so much. I always enjoy being on the show. Always good to have him on. Jared Johnson, Inside the Red Raiders. I'm Pete Mundo. Hey, don't go anywhere. Please hit that subscribe button. Hit that five star. Leave us a review and then send me a screenshot to Pete Mundo, M-U-N-D-O at heartlandcollegesports.com. That's what I want for Christmas from you. And then, you know what? I'll get you a free Heartland College Sports koozie when you send me a screenshot of that rating and review to Pete Mundo, M-U-N-D-O at heartlandcollegesports.com. Appreciate all you guys. We'll talk to you soon. Have a great rest of your day. Take care.